Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm over here. Probably not on the screen yet. That's okay. I'll jump over this. We're all good. How's everyone doing? Good. Good. Uh, I'm going to grab this real quick. Let's see. Joey, I'm going to put your phone right there. By the way, I'm not sure Philip's in the room right now, but I like his new podium. It is very, very cool. And he, um, I'm not really sure, should I put it this way? Does that look better for you guys? All right, we'll try that. We'll try that. He he told me that, um, <clears throat> he said, I don't know if it's going to work for to be a podium or not, but uh, if it doesn't, I'm going to keep him in my office so I can put my tea on it because <laughs> it's a nice one. So, yeah. Cool. Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Good deal. Good deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a Philip here. Can we get some more light in the room? Because <laughs> I, I want to see your faces. There we go. That's a little better. All right, so Thanksgiving went well for everybody, right? Good. You got enough food? Still full? I think I am. So that's a plus. That's a win. But you got to stock up because Christmas is coming, and we're going to do it again, right? Going to eat a lot, of more, a lot more food again. So, um... I just want to see a survey. Raise your hands if you have already decorated your Christmas tree. All right. Awesome. And you guys were decorating these Christmas trees too. So, I mean, we got a bunch of decorating going on. Cool deal. Cool deal. Well, we actually, uh, my wife and I, have already had our Christmas tree up for quite some time now because we decided to start celebrating Christmas early this year. Broke one of my rules. But you know what? It's 2020. We just need some Christmas cheer this year, right? Yes, yes. Um, and by the way, if you don't know, if you're visiting today, I just want to let you know, my name is Seth Parnell. I'm the pastoral assistant here. And uh, Pastor Philip has given me the podium today to bring a message. So I'm very thankful for that. And uh, we actually will be starting a new series called Peace, which is a very appropriate series to be doing at the end of December of 2020. Um, because it has been a very hard year. But yes, Christmas trees. So each year, my wife and I usually go up and we cut down a Christmas tree. Um, have you ever done that before, choose and cut? You ever go up to the mountains? We've got some nods. Okay, we've got a guy on the back. He's, he's done it before, good deal. Um, we like to go up every single year and we like to go pick out a Christmas tree and cut it down. It's just been our tradition. It's just been what we do. It's been a lot of fun. Um, this year, we decided, you know what, it's going to be real busy the week of Thanksgiving because usually we do it on Black Friday and just right after Thanksgiving because you can't celebrate Christmas till after Thanksgiving, right? Well, it's 2020, so we said we're going to go the week before and we're going to celebrate the Friday, I mean, cut down a tree the Friday before Thanksgiving, and it's just going to be awesome. So we did, and we got up there, and it's opening day. They were literally open for two hours on opening day. Well, we got there, so that, that's good. Um, but when you cut down a Christmas tree, you're paying for the experience, right? You're not paying for the tree because, I don't know if you, choosing cut, kind of expensive. It's a little pricey. So there's a lot of cheaper ways to get a Christmas tree, but you know what? We're, it's our tradition. It's what we're going to do. So we get up there, and um, usually what we like to do is, 
you know, go off in the distance, and there's usually like wagon, like hay rides, and you get to ride to your spot and, you know, journey through the little hills and maybe even go up the hill and find that perfect tree, right? Like it's an experience. Usually there's Santa Claus there. Usually they have hot chocolate and apple cider for after you cut down the tree and get to come back and, you know, drink the Christmas cheer, all that fun stuff. Well, this year, I didn't have any of that stuff. <laughs> We're like, okay. Um, there's no hot chocolate, well, probably because of COVID. No hot uh, apple cider, probably because of COVID. Santa wasn't there. I don't know if that's because of COVID or because it's before Thanksgiving, but wasn't there. Um, we couldn't even do our little, usually they they cut you off the base of the Christmas tree, and you can do like a brand of the place that you, you get it from, and uh, that wasn't happening. And on top of that, we we found our Christmas tree in like 10 minutes. So like from the time that we, we got there, got out of the car, went to find our tree, it's like 10 minutes. So I was like, what experience is this? Nothing is happening. Like, come on. Well, the good thing in all that is we got to get to the cheese factory and get some cheese five minutes before they closed. So that was cool. That was very good. But I mean, it just, it was different. You know, par for the course, it's 2020. It's just the way it is this year, right? It's been a hard year. It's been a rough year. But we're doing this series on peace. What an, what an appropriate series to do for the end of 2020. Um, it's been tough. There's been a lot of things that have happened. Um, there's been a lot of tension in the air. Have you ever, ever been on social media like Facebook? <laughs> this is happening all the time for many different reasons. And it's just emotionally draining. It's emotionally draining. It is just tough. But you know what? You know one thing that helps in the Department of Peace? And so you can feel that ease and that rest in your soul? It's Christmas music. You been listening to Christmas music yet? Yes. Well, to prove my point that Christmas music brings peace, we have a little sampler. Exhibit A, let's go ahead and roll that. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <sighs> it just makes you go, ah, Christmas is here. And sit back, enjoy time with the family. It's peace. Oh, and there it goes again. We're going to do it again. Cool. All right, but here's the thing. Some of you guys, maybe you guys out here in the audience, I'm not sure, Christmas music just doesn't jive with you. It does not create any kind of realm of peace in your life. In fact, it creates a ball of tension. You hear it, and you're like, ugh, <laughs> turn it off. Get us out of here. Well, just to show that I can sympathize with you, I have another one that we're going to play. Yeah. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. It just, for me, that just makes me want to choke someone. <laughs> like, oh, this is, there's no peace in that. There's no peace in that. Oh, I can't stand that song. I'm sorry if that's one of your favorites. It is not one of mine. And it does not involve anything having to do with peace for me. But just to kind of clear up the air, we have one more that we're going to show you. So let's go ahead and do this one. care if you don't like Christmas music. This arrangement of the song, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. The words are beautiful. Christ has come. I mean, it's the whole point of Christmas. Okay, we can, we can turn that off. 
Christmas music, it brings peace into our lives. It does. Every single year, you hear it playing, you're like, oh, everything is right with the world. It's, well, today's message today, the text that, we're, that I'm going to be preaching, that we're going to be looking at, is actually a Christmas song. And you're like, how, do you, how can you preach a Christmas song? This is one of the very first Christmas songs ever to be written in history. In fact, it is the second Christmas song ever to be written in history. So turn with me, if you can, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And just a little backstory. So this, um, <clears throat> this passage, it's not just a song, it's a prophecy. Okay? And it's the prophecies that Zechariah had when he had his son named John. Now, some things that we know about Zechariah is he was married to this lady named Elizabeth. They had no children. Okay? But Zechariah, he, um, <clears throat> he was a priest. And he was actually, he was straight from the line of Aaron. And if you know Israel's history, their ancient history, um, the, line, the priestly line of Aaron, those were the ones who were the priests in the nation of Israel. Now, something interesting <clears throat> is that at this point in, in Israel's history, the Roman government is ruling over Israel. Okay, They have control, and they have oppressed Israel in a lot of things. And in fact, the high priesthood, which was a huge high office that was like, it wasn't the king, but it had some weight like the king, it had actually been bought out. And the Ro Roman government allowed that to happen so that the true priests who were from the line of Aaron were not in the office of high priesthood. But they still allowed uh, the priest to come in and to do some of the duties that the high priest would do. So they had a little grace there for the nation of Israel. Well, <clears throat> Zechariah, it was his turn to go into the temple and to burn incense. That was just part of their um, <clears throat> religious practices. That's what they did is they would burn incense for God. And while he's in there, an angel appears to him. And it's the angel Gabriel. Same angel that appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to carry the Savior of this world. Also appeared to Zechariah. And he said, you are going to have a son. And you're going to name him John. And he is going to do some great things. And he is, he is going to set up for the Messiah to come and do his thing and have his ministry. And Zechariah, who is old in age, he was like, how in the world is this going to happen? How are we going to have any kids at this time in our life? Well, the angel looked at him, and he said, well, it's going to happen. I'm paraphrasing. This isn't actually how he talked to him. But he said, it's going to happen. And because you didn't believe in me, you, here's your sign for belief. You are going to be mute. You're not going to be able to speak till your son is born. And so while all this is happening, the people are outside the temple and they're like, where's Zechariah? What's going on? He's been in there for forever. It shouldn't take that long. What is he doing? So he comes out, and he's doing like this sign language stuff, being like, hey. like the angel told me this is what's going to happen, but they, they can't understand because he's, he's mute. So fast forward nine months, he has a son. And it was part of their customs and part of their traditions that you would name the son after, if the firstborn son, after the dad, after the father. And so everyone's like, 
all right, we're going to call him Zechariah. That's awesome. Good stuff. Awesome. Woohoo! Celebration. And Elizabeth's like, no, we're not going to call him Zechariah. I'm like, what do you mean? That's what you're supposed to do. What do you mean? Well, Zechariah writes on a tablet, and he says, his name will be John. Because that's what Gabriel told him. Essentially, that's what God told Zechariah to do. And as soon as he did that, his, his voice was unleashed, and he was able to speak again. And then he prophesied about his son. And that is the message that we're going to look at today. Now, something neat about this prophecy is there's two parts to it. The first part is a prophecy about the Messiah to come, about Jesus. And then the second part is about John the Baptist, his son. So we're going to look at this today, and we're just going to unpack some things and some truths to pull out of this prophecy. So let's start with, with this in verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. And it says this, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He's talking about Jesus there. As he spoke by the, by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Let's stop there for a minute. Something that we have to note about prophecy is there's a lot of times that we misinterpret prophecy or we ascribe a certain meaning to prophecy that's not supposed to be there. It's just not supposed to be there. We take it out of context. And a lot of times we take prophecies that are only meant for the nation of Israel and only for that ancient time and we, we give it to um, us for today. But this prophecy right here is for us for today. Because he's talking about a new, a new um, period that's about to come. The Messiah is entering into this world. This way of salvation through, by faith, by grace through faith, that we trust in Jesus Christ is coming into this world. So this prophecy, in a sense, we can take some truth for us for today. So I have a question for you. In this first little bit that we, we looked at, it talked about how we would be saved from our enemies. Saved from all who hate us. That, that salvation through Jesus Christ would come and that redemption would come, but we would be saved from our enemies. So I have a question to you. Do you have enemies? Do you have enemies in this life? Yeah, I'm sure you do. Because we're people and we do things that people don't like. And we just, we gain enemies in this life. But something that I, I want to try to clear up here is that <clears throat> the enemies that Zechariah is talking about here, you got to think about what's going on through in his mind and what's happening during that time, okay? The nation of Israel is being ruled by the Roman government and is being, the Jews are being oppressed by the Roman government. And there's other nations who hate Israel at this point, still do today. But there's other nations that hate Israel, and they want to attack them. They, they want to destroy them. And so Zechariah's looking around, and he's like, yeah, we have enemies, and we're going to be saved from these enemies. That's just what's going to happen. Now, the thing about, about prophecy is that the prophecy, the meaning of the prophecy comes from God. 
And even though Zechariah is speaking these things, it doesn't mean that his interpretation or his meaning of the prophecy is necessarily what we have to hold on to. It's God's interpretation of that prophecy. So we think about this, that yes, there is a, in a national sense, Israel is going to be saved from their enemies. Yes, that is true. And one day we know that Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to come back again, and he is going to destroy the rulers of this world who oppose him, and he is going to set up his kingdom, and that is going to happen. <clears throat> but at this point, that's not what the Messiah did. The Messiah did not come into this physical world in order to set up his physical rule and his kingdom. So who are the enemies that Zechariah is talking about? Well, they're spiritual enemies. And in Ephesians 6, and we have this first, we're going we're gonna to put this up here on the screen. It says this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, <clears throat> against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the enemies, the true enemies that Zechariah in this prophecy is really talking about, and that also applies to you and me, is the enemy of Satan and his army and evil and sin. But these enemies are what we will be rescued from. These enemies are, this is who the Messiah came into this world to save us from. From sin, from ultimate death, from evil, from Satan. This is what the Messiah came to do, is to destroy these things and to give us salvation and redemption and to walk in his salvation. And that is an amazing truth. That is an amazing truth. And knowing that truth should give us a little bit of peace because we know that he is going to save us. We know if we are saved, if we are Christians now, he has saved us. And he has given us already some of these blessings to hold on to and to taste what God is already going to give us one day in the future. So that is an amazing thing. But I want you to look at this next part of this portion about Jesus. And we pick it back up in... <clears throat> in verse 72, and it says this, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. So, because the Messiah is coming into this world, because he is bringing salvation and redemption, there's three things that this prophecy says that we get to look forward to. <clears throat> and we, as the church, get to tap into these truths today. And the first one is this, that we get to serve him without fear. We get to serve him without fear. It's 2020, all right? There's been a lot of fear going on this year, all right? Now, honestly, there's always a lot of things that we can be afraid of, and that, that fear, it cripples us from serving Christ fully and with our fullest extent. <clears throat> but this prophecy is saying is because of the salvation and redemption of Jesus Christ, we get to serve him without fear. We don't have to fear. There's no reason that we should fear See, here's, here's a couple things that we often say to ourselves and lies that, that we speak to ourselves that keep us from serving him 
without fear. And the first one is this, is that something bad might happen. If I'm to serve Christ, if I'm to step out in faith and follow after him and serve what he is, serve him in doing what he has, wants me to do, something bad could happen. Well, the truth is, is yeah, something bad could happen. It's very true. You know, there's a lot of people that have died for their belief in Christ. There's a lot of people that have died because they have chose to worship Christ. Something bad could happen. But you know what? Romans 8.28, it tells us that for all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what we see as bad, God may be using for a greater purpose. For what we see as, as a tragedy or something that could just, just, just be bad in our life, God may use for the good. And we don't understand it. And even going through it, we don't always understand it. But he uses these things in order to show us that he's God. And we are not. But another lie that we often say to ourselves is this. <clears throat> what will people think of me? If I am to step out in faith and I am to do something for Christ, what will people think? What will people do? I think there's a song about that. I think DC Talk had a song about that. It's called Jesus Freak. Y'all know it. You're jiving with me. What will people think? What will people do if they know that I'm a Jesus Freak? You know, we're doing in, in Fuel, our student ministry, um, we've been doing a series on peer pressure. Okay? Now, teens, that's something that a lot of teenagers deal with is peer pressure, is their friends pressuring them to do something that they know they shouldn't do. They know that it's not right. They know it's not biblical. They know their parents wouldn't want them to do it. Pressuring them to do that. You know what the main cause for teenagers to fall into that trap of peer pressure and to go along with their friends? You know what that usually ends up being? It's the fear of what will people think. What will people think if I do this or don't do what my friends are trying to get me to do? Now, as you get a little bit older in life, something that I am learning because I'm getting a little bit older in my life is that as you get older, you don't really care what people think of you, right? You know, you just, you're kind of setting your ways, you're setting your beliefs, you've been doing life for a while. I don't care if so-and-so says blah, blah, blah about me. I don't care. That's not going to make any difference on how I live my life. It's not going to do anything. But however, there are still times that this fear of what people may think of me, it still is a true fear, especially when serving Jesus Christ. Have you ever tried to witness to someone before? Have you ever felt, first off, the, the desire to share your faith with someone? What is one of the things that usually stops us from going with that and being obedient to God in that? Usually, it's the fear of what are they going to think? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How will, how will they respond? What if I don't have the right words? But a lot of times it ends up being, I don't want them to think bad of me. Or I don't want them to think something different of me. It's the fear that stops us in serving Christ. And that's a lot of times what, something that, that we say that keeps us from serving. But another one is this. <clears throat> I may have to give up my control. I may have to sacrifice something that I love in order to follow after Christ. Well, you might. I mean, even Jesus said 
we need to lay down our life for him and follow after Christ. There are things that we may have to sacrifice. We may have to step to the side and say, all right, Lord, this is yours. This is yours. But you know what helps me with this is <clears throat> even though I, I want to have control of my life and I want to do things my way, um, I know that God does a better job at that, right? If I, if I were to allow him to take more control of my life, do you think that life would be so much better? Because here's the thing. God formed this world. He hung this world into existence. He watches over everything that happens. He has control in this world. Why should we not lay down our life and give it over to him? We should. We should. And we can have peace about that because he does a better job than we would, right? He does a better job. But then there's one more, there's one more lie that I think oftentimes that we say, and it's this. <clears throat> if I were to follow after Christ, he might call me to do something that I don't want to do. And here's the truth, is he might. He might. You know what? God, when I was in high school, God called me to go into ministry, into pastoral ministry, and I did not want to. I did not want to do that. Because here's what I was thinking. You know, pastors, that's a boring job. <laughs> that's boring. I don't want to spend my whole life and my career doing this boring, rote, mundane thing. You go to the office, you open the Bible and your commentaries, you study, 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 you get ready for a message for Sunday, and then you preach it. You go to the hospital and you visit people in the hospital and you take care of people. You make sure people have meals, blah, blah, blah. To me, that seemed boring at the time. I was like, I want to do something that is fun. I want to do something that is adrenaline pumping. I want to do something that I'm like, you know, climbing mountains and doing all these like crazy things. That's what I want to do for my career. But God called me to pastoral ministry. Have any of you seen the video that Pastor Philip? showed up here last week of me as a pirate dancing and singing. Do you see that? Okay. Ministry is fun. Okay. I mean, that video was me dressed up as a pirate, and I'm singing and dancing and all this stuff. Like, that's fun. The things that we do for the teens and the fun that we have, it is nothing. It is not boring. Ministry is so much fun. And you might be saying, well, Seth, that's because you're in kids' ministry and student ministry and you get to hang out with all of these, all of these people. Have you ever met our pastor? Okay, being a pastor is not a boring job, okay? But here's the thing that I know. <clears throat> if God has called you to do something, if he, has, if he has called you to step out in faith and to do something for him, do you not think that he's going to fulfill you and gratify you and bless you if you were to walk out in obedience? Because here's the thing is he made you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He gave you your skills. He gave you your abilities. He gave you your passions and your desires. He put you together for a purpose in life. And if you were to simply lay down your life and follow after him, and follow the calling that he has on your life and accomplish that purpose, you will be so fulfilled in that. And there's no reason to have fear that I've, he might call me to know because he loves you and he's going to do something amazing in your life. 
because he made you. He, know, he knows what you were made to do. And the more you do those things, the more you are fulfilled, the more fun following after Christ becomes. And that is true. And that is true. So we can serve him without fear, but we can also serve him. There's another thing that this verse says. We can serve him in holiness and righteousness. And I'm not really going to unpack this much because you guys, you know this, but you have the ability to serve Christ in purity and in holiness and righteousness. <clears throat> when you were saved, you were saved from the power of sin. You were saved from sin's dominion over your life. And you were given the power of Christ to overcome those sins and to live in purity and to live in holiness so that when you serve Christ, you don't have to serve with an ego or with pride. You can serve him fully and in, in, in purity. <clears throat> and you can do that. But also, so we can serve him without fear. We can serve him in holiness and righteousness. But what else does the verse say? Is that we can serve him for all of our days. We will serve him forever. You know what an amazing truth is? Is that there's nothing that will disqualify you from serving Christ. There's nothing that will disqualify you from, dis from serving Christ. Now, there are sins that you can commit, and it may disqualify you from certain positions in serving Christ. And you may not be able to serve Christ to your fullest extent. But he is still going to use you. And there's still a purpose for you. So no matter, no matter what kind of mistakes that you've made, no matter what kind of sins that you've committed, get over it, ask for forgiveness, and just follow after Christ. He still has a place for you. He has not kicked you out of the family of God. He has not kicked you out of the ability to serve him. You still can serve Christ. And I know a lot of people who have messed up greatly in their life. And they've lost some, some of their position and some of their standing in their ability to serve him. But they haven't lost it all. They still can serve him. We can serve him forever. And those are amazing truths. But let's read further. So this kind of, this finishes the portion of Jesus, the prophecy portion about Jesus, but we're about to enter into the portion about John the Baptist. <clears throat> so let's look at this. In verse 76, Zechariah shifts his attention from Jesus, and he puts it on his son, John, and it says this, And you, child, <clears throat> will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Now let's stop there. Some things that we know about John is it was prophesied that he would have this ministry of making the way ready for Jesus to enter the scene. And his ministry, how he would do that is he preached the message and he baptized people for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, this is a different type of baptism than what we do when we get saved and we get baptized up here. That's a baptism of, of obedience to Christ and a profession of faith in a public setting. But this was a baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. And John was getting the people ready for the Messiah to enter into the world. That was his ministry. What an amazing ministry. And it was a successful ministry. He had people coming to him from all over to be baptized, to hear his message. He had disciples. He had followers. There were some awesome things that God was doing 
in his life, in this ministry. A couple of things about John is um, he lived in the wilderness, which I think that's pretty cool. I mean, that's just cool. You live in the wilderness. He wore camel skin for clothes, camel hair. Anybody have like a camel hair vest or, you know, jacket or something? I don't know. That that might be pretty neat. He ate locust and honey for his nutrition. That's kind of weird. Honey, not so much. But I've never had locust before. You know, that might be a little interesting. But something that the, the angel Gabriel told his father in in the temple before he came is that he was to have no wine because he was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was. He was filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. Now that throws like a weird wrench in all of our theology, but somehow in his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When Mary came and she announced that she was, uh, she came to Elizabeth and she announced that she was carrying the Messiah in her womb. And as soon as her voice spoke, John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb out of excitement because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what an amazing guy. But when you have that much success in ministry and that that many people coming to you, I would imagine some of his temptations, I don't know, this is just me inserting my own self in this verse here, but I would imagine that some of his temptations might be a little bit of pride, a little bit of ego, a little bit of, wow, look what God is doing through me. Look how God is blessing this ministry. Look at what I am doing. Look at me. That would be a temptation. I know if, if I was in his shoes, thank, thank goodness I'm not the one that God called to do this, but I feel like I know I would do that. But here's something. Here's a point I want you to have to bring home. If you want to have peace with God, if you want to have peace in your life with God, you need to step out of the way. You need to get out of God's way and give him the center stage. And that is exactly what John the Baptist did. He had this amazing ministry. He was doing some awesome things. Jesus comes on the scene. And what does he do? He gets out of his way. We're going to look at this this one section, this one passage very briefly. In John chapter 3, what's happening here is... Jesus is starting his ministry, and he is baptizing people. And John is still over here doing his ministry, and he is baptizing people. And they, <clears throat> some people come to John, and they're asking him some questions. <clears throat> and it says this in verse 25. It says, Now a discussion arose between some of, the, some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. He's talking about Jesus here. Almost like, hey, he's stealing your crowd. What are you going to do about it? <clears throat> John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew his place. He knew that his ministry was going to last for so long. He knew that, that his ministry was to make ready 
the way for the Lord, make ready the way for the Messiah to make the path straight. But then when it's over, it's done. It's time for me to step out of the way and let Jesus take the scene. And if we were to do that in our lives, don't you think our service to him, our ministry to him, our calling would be so much better? Things would run so much smoother. We would have more peace because instead of fighting with God because of our own will and our own ego and our own pride and wanting to do things our way, we would step to the side and say, God, it's, it's your way. We would allow him to take control. Allow him to take control. A real-life personal example of this happening to me actually happened while I was getting this message ready. <clears throat> As I was preparing and writing this message, <clears throat> something that God brought to the forefront of my mind is that I, w- I was failing <laughs> in this area. And um, <clears throat> so the thing with, with me is I'm not, I don't preach every single Sunday. Uh, pastor Philip does. He's the pastor of this church. That's what he does. So he, um, I have a little bit of an advantage on Pastor Philip because I just get several Sunday morning messages ready a year, and I have several months in between to study and prepare and get ready. And even though he does his, his messages a year in advance, he still, it's that next week, it's that next message, the next message, the next message. And so he's constantly doing that. Well, <clears throat> I'm also a little bit of a procrastinator. All right, I don't know if you guys are in this room, um, but I will wait till what I feel like is getting close to last minute. And there's sometimes we'll be about a month away from my sermon, and Pastor Philip comes up to me, he's like, so what you preaching on? I'm like, I don't know. You've been working on it? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, for this one in particularly, about a month a month ago, I knew the text. I knew what I was supposed to do. And it was supposed to be this, this song, Zachariah's song. And I had a general flow of the message. I had an outline. But I didn't have the message quite yet. And that's okay. That's just part of studying and getting ready for when you're writing a message. And so Monday gets here, and I've done my study. And I sit down, and I'm like, okay, it's time to actually write the meat of this message. Let's do it. We're going to start doing this. And so I sit at my computer, and I'm trying to write some stuff down. And nothing's coming to me. And I can't get anywhere. I'm like, man, what, what's going on? So sometimes um, you have to, like, change scenery. So I get out of my office, and I go to the CWC. And just, just to get away, change the scenery, peace and quiet. And I go into one of the rooms. I shut the door. I'm like, okay, here we go. It's time for the message. And nothing's coming. Nothing's coming. I'm like, why, why can't I do this? And so I'm like, okay, close my laptop, close my Bible. I'm just going to pray. It's what I should have been doing in the beginning anyways. This is not my message. This is God's. So I started praying. And I, I prayed and I prayed. And I laid on the floor. And for about an hour, I just waited for the message to hit me, for something to come. And nothing really did. And then something hit me, is that I was the one getting in the way. See, I was just going through the motions. I'm like, okay, you know, Sunday's coming. I'm going to write a message, blah, blah, blah. But instead of sitting back and saying, like, Lord, what do you want to say through this message? What do you want to do on that Sunday when I bring this message? Let that be your message. I didn't do that. And so I, I sat there. And I just laid on the floor for about an hour. And nothing really happened. I got a little bit of things written down, but nothing really happened. 
Well, Tuesday came, and I was going to work on it again, and still nothing really came. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm supposed to have this message ready by Wednesday. That way, Thanksgiving's here. I don't have to worry about it at all over the weekend. Well, Wednesday came, and the message hit me. I was like, yes, this is awesome. This, I feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking. This is what I want to say uh, or what the Holy Spirit wants me to say. This is going to be great. But it didn't complete. See, my goal, my, my will was to write the message on Monday, go over things on Tuesday, and tie it all up on Wednesday and be done. That's not the way it happened. Thursday got here, Thanksgiving. I feel like felt like God was still giving me stuff for this message. Friday gets here, God's still giving me stuff for this message. Saturday gets here, God, I really need to tie these things up. I tell you all of that to say this. It's not about you. It's not about your service. It's not about your success when God does something. It's about getting out of the way and letting God have the glory, letting God have the driver's seat, letting God take control. And if we were to do that, we would have more peace in our relationship with him. We would have more peace. So I want you to look at this last little bit in this message, I mean in this passage. So in verse 78, this is, this is the, the final um, few lines in this prophecy. <clears throat> And it says this, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. John's purpose in his ministry was to set things up so that our feet could be guided into the way of peace through Jesus Christ. So my question to you today, do you have that peace in your life? If you are not saved and you have never asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, believed that he died for your sins and that he took that punishment away from you, that he rose on the third day, if you have never trusted in him, then you don't have this peace. But if you do, you have access to it. Are you allowing your feet to be guided into that peace. And that's not just a peace between you and God, but when you are in that peace and you have that peace, not only do you have peace between you and God, but you have peace between his people as well. There is peace in the church. And guys, let me tell you this. We as the church need to be that light of peace for this world. This world needs to see the peace of Jesus Christ through us. And I want to close with this verse. In Colossians 3.15, it says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What did the angels say when they announced the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Jesus brings peace, and we have access to that peace. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for all that you do. God, we thank you that you sent us Jesus Christ into this world, not as a ruling king, not as a dominant person, but as a little baby. 
And God, we, we, we thank you that he was born fully God and fully human in a little stable over 2,000 years ago. And God, we thank you for the things that he has done for us and for giving us salvation. And God, we also thank you for John the Baptist. We thank you for the fact that he did not let pride and his ego get in the way of his ministry, but he allowed you to work through him. And God, we pray that we would do the same thing, that we would get out of your way, we would lay down our control, and that we would let you have control over our lives. God, we love you. We thank you for the peace that you bring. We thank you for the life that you give us. And God, we pray that you would continue to give us peace in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Just in one sentence, I would say this. You will not have peace in your life until you surrender to God's calling on your life. Until you accept it and make it a part of who you are. You will not have peace until you accept his guidance in your life. Until you start following him in the way that he wants you to go, you will not have peace unless you do that. If you think about Zechariah, like he talked about, Zechariah wrote down the name John, presented it to the people, accepted that that is who his son was going to be named, and then immediately he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll never be filled with the Holy Spirit if you can't accept the calling, if you can't accept Jesus' guidance in your life. So our prayer for you today is that you'll accept that and that you'll continue to follow Jesus or begin following Jesus today. So as we sing the words to this song, pray in your chair. The altar is open if you need it. Seth and I are up here to pray with you as well. And just think about that. Have I accepted my calling? Am I following Jesus with my whole heart? Because that is the way that you can have peace peace. So let's stand and sing.